Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Islam for Christians, episode 61, Biblical Figures in Islam, part 7, which is Solomon, part 2, The Biblical Stories. When you ask someone about Solomon, at least someone in the Christian-rooted West, when you ask that person about Solomon, the average person will likely know at least one thing about him. And that would be the story of Solomon and the baby. As far as stories about Solomon that everyone knows, this is easily number one. It's not even close. Everybody knows that story. Even in a more secular Western world, that story bleeds into pop culture over and over again. It's everywhere still. You know, even in an epically secular, famous comedy like Seinfeld. They did a whole bit about Solomon and the baby. They told the story almost verbatim with Newman as Solomon and with a bike instead of the baby. Uh, the same was true of the Simpsons. You know, this one actually had a much better joke on it, where Homer is actually impersonating the actual Solomon in ancient times. So two men are fighting over the ownership of a pie. And King Homer says, the pie shall be cut in two, and each man shall receive death. I'll eat the pie. Now, if you want to hear that joke in a much funnier way, just, you know, search for the clip. Search for Homer Simpson as Solomon. It'll come right up. And there are three major reasons that is so funny. The first is that it fits Homer's character so well, because he's going to love pie too much to make a wise decision. And then it segues perfectly into the second level of humor, because Homer's personality creates an unexpected outcome. He actually cuts the pie and eats both pieces. But the icing on the cake is the third element, the fact that everyone knows this story. First of all, Homer, who is an idiot, of course, him just being Solomon at all is funny. It's a joke in and of itself, because he is the opposite of what Solomon is known for. And then, at the end, he cuts the pie in two. And just when he says each man shall receive, and then he says death. It's hilariously abrupt because everyone, Christian or Jew or anything else, everyone is expecting him to say each man shall receive half, right? Because they know this story. But instead he says death. And it only works because this story is just in the cultural bloodstream everywhere it's kind of like when someone uses judas as a synonym for betrayal you don't have to be a christian to understand what it means to call someone a judas and where i live if you want to call someone a traitor you really only have two options judas or benedict arnold now benedict arnold was a general from the revolutionary war who defected to the british you know, not just switching sides, but planning to surrender armies and territories under his command in the process. But around the world and in the United States, if you call someone a Judas, that's universal. People understand that. Similarly, Solomon and the story of the baby, it's still at that super high level of recognition. Given this sort of universal recognition, it probably seemed odd to some of you that I would do an entire episode about Solomon 
without mentioning this at all. But I had a reason. I was saving it because I wanted to package it with the other more famous biblical stories about Solomon. Now, everyone knows about the baby. And the other two most people probably know are the stories about the Queen of Sheba. Maybe they know that. And the great building projects of Solomon, most notably the first temple in Jerusalem. And further down the list of awareness, and most Christians actually don't even know this, is the downward spiral of Solomon's life in the end. You know, the biblical Solomon did not leave the earth as a righteous man. Now, as you'll see, the Islamic Solomon is a little bit different. They kind of take issue with that portrayal of Solomon. So the previous episode on Solomon, Solomon Part 1, that was basically the extra-biblical Solomon. It was the stories you have probably never heard if you're only familiar with the Solomon of the Bible. But in this episode, you're going to hear more about the stories that you have heard about Solomon, that you probably are familiar with, and then the Islamic take on those stories. Now, just to preview this, we'll be going, going over four areas where Christianity and Islam sort of overlap in the person of Solomon. Now, the first is the famous story of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. We'll go over that. The second, of course, the even more famous story of Solomon and the baby. And then the third, the building of Solomon's great works and who or what was responsible. And then the fourth, the later years of Solomon's life, like the unflattering biblical account, as opposed to the Quranic account, in which he comes off much, much better. So we'll start with the Queen of Sheba here. I want to start with this one, not because it's Solomon's most famous story, but because in the Islamic version, there is an actual lengthy narrative of this in the Quran. And it's far more expansive and consequential than the story about the baby. Now, the biblical story of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, it's more of a cultural exchange. You know, a curious ruler wanting to see someone who was doing very, very well. And that's pretty much the end of it in the Bible. One ruler comes to another ruler's country, looks around and is impressed, and then leaves. But not in the Quran. In the Quran, the consequences are far, far greater. Now, why is it so different? If you've been listening for a while, the Quran is always trying to give a sermon of some kind, a lesson. It's not moving a narrative forward, because there are a few lengthy narratives in the Quran. In the Bible, the Queen of Sheba, at least from a literary perspective, she's simply an outside source observing the opulence and greatness of Solomon. She's a narrative tool. That's one reason, but there might be a larger one. A larger reason for the outsized importance of the Queen of Sheba and this whole story in the Quran. The geography here may be important because where is Sheba? That would be Southwest Arabia. Maybe or maybe not, including Mecca. 
So there may have been a cultural component with this, the Arabian desire to tie themselves into the Israeli story of God. And the Quranic narrative does exactly that. So let me give you the Quranic narrative before we walk about and talk about this more. I thought of reading it here, but it might be a tad long, so I'll just summarize it here for you. If you want to read the whole thing, it's Surah 27, verses 18 to 44. That Surah is called the Surah of the Ant, and you'll see why very soon. The story starts by letting us know that Solomon has extraordinary power in the animal kingdom, and in particular, the ability to talk to birds. So, Solomon calls forth his combined military forces, all three branches, humans, jinn, birds. And as they gather to him, Solomon hears an ant calling out to his fellow insects, warning them to all get underground lest they get trampled. So, then Solomon is inspecting the troops, and he notices that a certain bird is missing. Now, he gets angry until it straggles in at the last minute. The bird, that is, straggles in at the last minute with very big news. He had come from Sheba, and the queen there is a sun worshiper. And she does this despite having great material wealth. And I think the implied tragedy is that you know, this woman doesn't understand where all of this wealth actually came from. So Solomon writes a letter, and he gives it to the bird. And this is what it says. In the name of Allah, the most compassionate, most merciful, do not be arrogant with me, but come to me, fully submitting to Allah. And yes, that is the opening of every surah in the Quran there. Solomon started with Bismillah al-Rahman al-Rahim. So then the queen is reading this letter with her advisors. She tells them about the letter and wonders if this is the preview to an invasion, which makes perfect sense because it sounds like a join me or die type of letter. Particularly in a polytheistic world, a nation was usually associated with a particular god or set of gods. So if someone asked you to submit to their gods, you would likely be submitting to that person as well. And she certainly took it that way. And it appears Solomon meant it that way, because when she sent a gift back in return, Solomon was insulted and basically threatened to invade. Now why? because he thought it was a bribe. He thought she was trying to bribe him. But in fairness to her, she couldn't have really known that she was dealing with a prophet rather than a simple king. I mean, really, who was going to guess that? So Solomon calls in his council of humans and jinn and birds, and he asks an odd question. Which of you can bring me the queen's throne the fastest? And by throne, that's not a metaphor. He literally means the chair. A jinn offers to bring him the chair before he can even stand up. But a man named Asif ibn Barhia, an assistant to Solomon and a holy man, brings it to him in the blink of an eye. So when the queen comes, 
there's the chair waiting for her at Solomon's place. But then she says, basically, thanks for the miracle. It's very impressive. But, you know, we actually already became Muslims and submitted to Allah. But there was still a problem. The queen did not discard the old gods. She didn't understand that she needed to submit to Allah alone. That is, until she entered Solomon's palace, saw how amazing it was, and was just blown away by it. She even tried to wade into what she thought was water, but it was really a glass floor. Now, at this point, she fully submits to the one true God, and everyone lives happily ever after. So, this paints Solomon as an Islamic-style prophet, and it makes him look powerful, wise, evangelical, if I can use that word, and certainly righteous. Remember, the Islamic Solomon is not just a king, he is a prophet. So, if he built up staggering amounts of wealth, it was in the way of God, and only for holy reasons. Now, contrast that with the biblical Solomon, who, for those who don't know, Solomon's material success was forbidden, biblically, by God for Israeli kings. Now, we'll get to that later. But first, the Islamic version of the cutting the baby in half story. Just in case you've been waiting for this, I am getting to it. You know, this um, Islamic Solomon does something similar. And it goes almost like the biblical story. Only in this version, one is killed by an animal. Oh, and there's also no mention of the two women being prostitutes. That part's gone. Now, this is from the, this is not from the Quran. This is from the Sahih al-Bukhari Hadith collection. I'll read you Hadith number 6769. Allah's messenger said, There were two women with whom there were their two sons. A wolf came and took away the son of one of them. Now that lady said to her companion, the wolf has taken your son. And the other said, no, it has taken your son. So both of them sought the judgment of the prophet David. And he judged that the boy should be given to the older lady. But then both of them went to the prophet Solomon, son of David, and then informed him of the case. And Solomon said, give me a knife so that I may cut the child into two portions and give one half to each of you. The younger lady said, do not do so. May Allah bless you, he is her child, Solomon said. And on that, he gave the child to the younger lady. So the theme is the same, and the result is the same. But did you notice one other thing that was slipped into that story? There was David again. Just like in a Quranic story from a previous Solomon episode, we have here, once again, Solomon making David look stupid. This is Solomon the Wise, operating on a higher plane than his father. Again. The wolves are an interesting touch here. I don't think that it has any theological significance. Probably just a story that was passed around the area for a thousand years, and at some point somebody decided there should be an explanation of what killed the original child. Because in the Bible, it just dies. But again, the correct mother gets the correct child. And Solomon, presumably, goes on with his many projects. And that's also where I want to discuss a major difference in the Islamic Solomon 
and the Christian or the biblical Solomon. Now, we know from the previous Solomon episode that Solomon had armies of jinn laborers that helped him build some pretty amazing stuff. The Islamic Solomon builds the temple, or some Muslims might say he was rebuilding or renovating an existing mosque, you know, that may have been there since the time of Abraham and all that. But what was built is not nearly as important as who it was that was building it, because in the Islamic story, it's the jinn, mostly. So when Solomon dies, the jinn presumably stop working. You know, the projects stop and the world moves on as they remember a great man. But in the Bible, Solomon's projects would have catastrophic consequences for Israel. The resentment of Solomon's laborers is partially what led to the split of the kingdom when Solomon died, because the ten northern tribes decided they had had enough of this, particularly after Solomon's son, Rehoboam, promises them toil and suffering. So a man named Jeroboam became king of all tribes aside from Judah and Benjamin in the south. But still, Judah had the temple in Jerusalem. So Jeroboam created his own sacred rites, and it started to slide into paganism from which the northern tribes never recovered. Now, Rehoboam deserves plenty of blame for this, and certainly Jeroboam. But Solomon had also been overworking the ten tribes in the north, which was unwise in retrospect. But that really was a hallmark of his later life. At least it is in the Bible. Now, the Islamic Solomon dies while commanding his massive army of jinn laborers, doing the work of God, a prophet in good standing. Thus ends the Islamic Solomon, the righteous Islamic prophet, uncomplicated and good, but not in the Bible. The biblical Solomon in the late years was completely out of touch, both with God and with his people. I always imagine Solomon's last days kind of like the end of Scarface, with Solomon burying his face in a mountain of cocaine, completely drunk on what he believes is his power, and completely forgetting how he got there and why he got there in the first place. Or if you want to use a more historical parallel, Solomon kind of reminds me of Alexander the Great, who died, arguably, as more of a Persian than a Greek. He forgot where he came from. Solomon did, this is the biblical Solomon, the biblical Solomon did all the things God told him not to do, like collecting riches and collecting wives and marrying two zillion foreigners. And he built idols and altars for those foreign wives. And God basically tells him that his infidelity and stupidity has destroyed Israel. Here's 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 11 to 13. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. 
And isn't it kind of funny how we tend to forget all of that? You know, Solomon's popular public image, it completely ignores all the bad stuff at the end. And I suppose in a way that's natural for humans. It happens all the time. Because isn't it better to remember Bill Cosby as you knew him in 1990? It's more pleasant to remember him as America's dad and a comedian than as a drug-dropping rapist. And it's, it's jarring. And honestly, that's why I think most people do remember him as he used to be. It's natural. You know, the same thing with, say, say Michael Jackson. I mean, really, who wants to believe that? Who wants to be listening to Billy Jean and thinking of the allegations that could still cloud the legacy of a great musician? It's horrible. Now, of course, the Bible has never had much of a problem with that, which is quite impressive if you think about it. You know, you could see that it's just sheer honesty from the Israeli historians and from the Bible, if you could call it a person. You know, because in the Bible, everyone is, at times, frail and human. Until the end, of course, you know, when some guy named Jesus breaks that narrative pattern. But up until then, people are frail and human and, frankly, complex. And the biblical authors really don't seem to have a problem with that. So the Christian Solomon certainly has his faults. He is a mixed bag, a whole lot of good and some not so good. But for those who simply want to think of Solomon as rich and wise, you know, the Islamic version might just be more palatable, you know, easier on the ears or the eyes if you're reading it. Solomon is an uncomplicated, heroic figure. And he does nothing but good. Now, that Solomon, that Islamic Solomon, he did not end his days as a strung out, godless loser like the biblical Solomon. You know, the Islamic Solomon, even after he died, his jinn were still working diligently for him and in the cause of God for quite some time. Now, that's quite a person. The Islamic Solomon was a commanding presence a righteous man, and arguably the most powerful prophet in the history of Islam. He commanded all in his domain, all the way down to the ants under the ground. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter, at McCall Nasrani. And please share this podcast with your church, mosque, or anyone you think might be curious. All are welcome in this place. Feedback and questions are encouraged as well, so this show can be reached at mccallnasrani at gmail.com.
Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.